0: We got a really great show for y'all. But before we hop in, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Long Beach Comedy, which takes place. At Harvell's in downtown Long Beach, California, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we have award winning dancers, celebrity drop ins. You never know who's going to be there, but I'll tell you who will be there me, your boy, Victor Pacheco, every single second and fourth Tuesday of the month with new material. So come and check me out. Come and check out the shows. Hope you enjoy it. Which is- hello and welcome to poppycock podcast with your host victor pacheco we got a really special show today with a very special guest a friend of mine the w- w- recent winner of the san francisco international comedy competition of 2022 uh regular opener for david Chappelle. why don't you give it up real big for my man mr chris riggins what's up brother hey. thank you thanks for coming through Thanks for being here, man. How are you doing today, my man?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh I just finished eating breakfast, so I'm full. Now I'm extremely good. Everything's good. It's a nice rainy day here in the Bay Area, so Oh <laughs> man
0: no that's great i only heard the last part where it's a nice rainy day in the bay area so that's hella oh. funny because i was like i heard i heard the punch slide but i didn't hear the fucking setup no now i can hear you perfectly it's fine. oh wow no that's so funny cool no 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 it's fine no we're we're gonna get through this we're gonna power through this man uh because no okay chris riggins is a funny ass dude one of the humblest dudes that i know this dude should be an asshole how funny he is, but he is actually <laughs> one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And like, I know you're not going to remember this, Chris, but Chris was like one of the first people that like put me up on a show without having to like bring people to the audience because he was hella cool, like super cool. There was like hella beef going on on Facebook in this group called Bay Area Comedy Network. And you put out some, you put out a post saying, I got a guest spot for somebody. And I was just all like, Um, dude, I'm down to take it. Um, And if you don't pick me, I don't want no fucking Facebook beef because there was all this Facebook beef going on and like you're like, fuck it, you got it, bro. And I was was at the Legionnaire Saloon in Oakland and that was legit, man. And I don't know, I think Chris Riggins has a really unique story because Chris, I want to tell you. I remember that show. I remember that show distinctly. I was like, oh, fuck, do I need to change it up because there's hella black people? And I'm like, fuck, no. I don't need to change it up. I'm just gonna say what I'm gonna say. And you know, I was five months in, so it was not a I didn't I didn't have a great I didn't have a great show, I didn't do a great show, like you know, I got a couple of chuckles, but then I was just like, Oh, cool, I got to gotta to see some professional comedy on a real show. And I was just like, I can't believe you gave me a chance. But like I legit used the word butthurt and face and Facebook funk in the in the intro. But it's it's so crazy though. But like I, I, I want the people at home to know, Chris. When was the first time you performed stand-up comedy? How, what, what, just, what, what were the circumstances under? Because this, this is amazing. Like, I can't even, this is un- unbelievable.
1: Um, the first time I did stand-up, I opened up for Dave Chappelle uh, at the new parish. In Oakland. Um, it was on a challenge. It was a dare by two of his friends. Uh, one of his friends who actually happens to be there, the manager of singer D'Angelo. And the other guy is just like, you know, he's Dave's right-hand man. So I was roasting them at another event and they challenged me to open up for Dave because they they basically said, if you think you're so funny, get on stage. And so I did it. I was like, all right, let's go. And I mean, this time I was drinking. So there was a lot of liquid courage in the whole situation, but it worked out. (laughs) It turned out that I was funny. So it worked out for the best.
0: Chris Rickins, dude, that that okay, that okay, story's too unbelievable. Like, okay, how are you in a position where you're hanging out with Dave Chappelle and his homies, and you're roasting his homies? It's like, you can't roast Dave Chappelle, so you can roast the homies.
1: Well, he wasn't even there. Dave wasn't there that night, but it was an event that we were doing. Actually, you know who was there that night? Uh, Yasin Bey, a.k.a. Mo Step. It was an event with Yasin Bey... And uh, we were doing a show with him for New Year's Eve, I believe. And then they challenged me to open up for Dave in two weeks.
0: That's hilarious. Wait, how much prep time did you have between the challenge and the show? Was it like go up tonight type of thing, or was it like go up next week? Or
1: I had two weeks, you had two weeks um, but, to, to train. But here's the thing I didn't take it seriously. I thought, whatever, you're not gonna really do this, so I didn't. I didn't do any training. I didn't write nothing. I just was living my my drunk life. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even care. And then but like you're, just you're just naturally funny.
0: You're yeah. just naturally funny. So how did it go? Did it was it a good experience? Like or was it like like like? Ah, it was. I feel it? like
1: this. If I had if if I had bombed that night, you probably wouldn't be talking to me right now. <laughs> <I probably> <laughs> went, I'm never doing this again. I'm oh never god. doing this again.
0: Oh my god. But yeah, I
1: had I, with two days before the event, they hit me up and they were like, you still doing this? And I was like, doing what? And he was like, you open it up for Chappelle. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, yeah, what up? Let's do it. So I wrote like four jokes, have four really shaky jokes and I ended up doing 20 minutes my first time. <laughs> like, I, They just left me up there, like literally, dude, me on stage he, he introduced me on stage and left me he went in the, he went back up to the green room to talk to dave and they was up there and then i guess apparently he was like let me go down and check on dude and he came down and i was doing pretty good and then dave got on stage said give it up for chris that's pretty hilarious and then he asked me was well, this my first time i was like yeah it was my first time doing comedy he was like well that's pretty good for your first time now This is before Dave was back to drinking, so he had a great memory of it. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's basically what happened. And then I got asked back the next night to do another 20. And I ended up doing 20 again. That's
0: hilarious because it's just like, when were you an open micer? Never. Just pro comic from the first fucking from the gate. Yeah. It's like it's like you had 20 minutes without even knowing you had 20 minutes. And I'm like over exactly. here, I'm like, what's my next 20 minutes about? You're just like, oh, day two weeks, 20 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It but was, it's
1: just it was crazy. It was like I think it was mostly adrenaline. Uh and also, you know, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, it's like a brother, uh Namani, uh Nobani, Namani. I can never say his last name right, but Namani is the, the brother of, of the singer Guapale. Um, and I've known both of them since I was a kid. Like, we went to elementary school together. So I've known Namani for my whole life basically. And he saw me in the courtyard of the new parish pacing around, nervous, like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And he literally gave me the best advice ever. He looked at me in my eye and he said, dude, what are you stressing about? Nobody came here to see you. So you have no expectations. So go up there and just do whatever. Because like if you fail, people are still going to be like, oh, that's pretty dope that you got to open up for Dave Chappelle. And if you do great, then people are going to be like, oh, my God, you killed it, opened up for Dave Chappelle. So that alleviated a lot of nerves. And I was able to go up there and do what I had to do.
0: That's excellent advice. And I have a question, though. Now, okay, because Chris Riggins is a headliner. And so I want to know, how do you do that as a headliner, though? Like, what would be your advice for, for like, you know, trying to keep your spirits up for, 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 for a headliner during that type of situation?
1: Uh, now it's different. It's a different self-talk. It's more or less the lines of you know what to do, you know? Like, if you're a headliner, yeah, nerves are good. It's good to be a little nervous for you to show, but you have to remember, like, you know, what, you know how to do this. This is what you do. So don't stress it like you don't know what you're doing. Just go up there and do what you know how to do. Um, and that's kind of the philosophy I took into the San Francisco International Comedy Competition. It was like, yes, we're competing, but you know how to do comedy. And so it's just a matter of getting up there and executing what you know how to do. You know, it's like any competition, any kind of sports or anything you do, You know, uh, uh, you know, Tom Brady, Might still get nervous, but he goes out there because he knows what to do. He knows how to run a football, how to run an offense. So it's the same mentality. You know what you do. You know how you got here. You know what you've been through. So just go up there and do what you do best.
0: Dude, that's awesome advice, man. I mean, and yeah, it's it's just sometimes, I don't know, people get up in their own heads about what, what what's going to happen or what's going on. Or like, I've literally seen white comics look around to see if there's any black people in the audience so they could use their little, you know, edgy right. jokes. And I'm just like, look, dude, if you don't have the balls to say in front of fucking black people, like, or in front of anybody, in front of fucking Mexicans, in front of fucking white people, yeah. you know, like, it's just like, don't say it
1: it's just yeah, like dude. i don't know
0: like like i have a like that was one of the things i want to talk to you about because like uh chris riggins is actually very very socially conscious and culturally aware of what's yeah. going on in our society and so you're able to bring in that perspective like from your real life and so like i wanted to ask you like how do you feel about the black mermaid and the controversy going around it as a black man because <laughs> i i made a joke about it how do you feel about mexicans joking about the black little mermaid and making fun well, of black women in the in the process because you know what it, i mean because
1: because it's well, not
0: in bad taste it's just like the punchline is just you know um it's not you know all these white women are pissed off but black women are the ones that should be pissed off because it's not even believable for black women to get her hair wet and still be in a good mood well that's like, the thing
1: you know, that, that, that's that's uh the thing about culture and the way that we learn about culture is we often learn about culture directly around us um the thing i know for a fact is there's a whole world of black women not just black women in the united states so like there are there's a there's a whole continent called africa it's full of black women (laughs) and many of them live by the ocean many of them live by the sea so it's not far-fetched to believe that black women can swim because if you go like South Africa, there are black women surfers who, who, who face shark infested waters to surf just like the white girls here in Southern California. So I think what it is is when you don't know that the world is a lot bigger than what you see, then sometimes you kind of just focus on that because yeah, there are black women that don't get their hair wet. And that's a whole other discussion of why because you know, black women's hair has been criminalized to an extent where you know, black women can't even wear their hair naturally to work because it's deemed unprofessional. So they have to get these hairstyles that are not natural to their hair, which means when the water hits their hair, it's gonna take them back to that, that natural state which could affect their job. Um, and oftentimes, you know, beauty standards are based on the straighter the hair, the prettier the person which is kind of based in a white supremacist view of the world, which says that your hair has to look like us in order to be considered beautiful, professional or any of these things. So the joke in itself talking about black women not getting their hair wet isn't inherently racist because if the only black women you know don't get their hair wet, then of course you're gonna make that joke. And it's not inaccurate, you know, a lot of black women are like, but at the same time, it is inaccurate because I grew up with black girls that went swimming you know I grew up with black guys that love water I love to get their hair wet you know because there's all kinds of black women so I think once you learn more about black women you tend to change your that joke can change into more of a, a, a critique of how white America judges black women based on white beauty standards
0: yeah and I think that it's, it's important to note that a lot of, a lot of, I mean, and, and it is like just the history of just like racism and systematic racism and the way that we're like the straighter the hair, the the the, what, the prettier the face, is that what you said? Uh, no, face. no, the
1: straighter the hair, the the more prox, the closer to whiteness is considered beauty. You know, beauty standards around the world, due to colonization, have been based in in the white in whiteness. So because white women are born naturally with straight hair, not all of them. Some white women out there got some, some kink in their hair, got some curl in their hair. But yeah. the, 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 I, I guess I want to say the Aryan standard of beauty is straight hair. And so many other cultures have been forced to straighten their hair to fit into the societal uh, acceptance of, of of straight hair, which is based in whiteness. So it's not necessarily the prettier face, it's just straight hair is associated with beauty. So you can have an ugly face, but as long as your hair is straight, you're considered into the norm of beauty.
0: That's profound because like with me, I'm just like, I don't know. There's I'm around so many stuck up people in LA. Like, no, no, you have to have the straight hair and the pretty face. And it's just like, yes. it's so fuck, like, I've never been or like, it's, it's so shark infested in LA. Even like the audience is like, Oh, you're not beautiful or famous. Get the fuck off stage. Um, who the fuck yeah. are you? Why should I listen to you? Or, you know, it's, it's so fucked right. up. And then it's like, it's like, unless you're like a skinny, pretty, I hate to say it but white person like you know it's like i mean i hate to say it, a lot of the lineups are mostly just like just white white like everywhere yeah unless it's latino white. night or it's urban night or you know it's uh um, yeah it's uh um, yeah. th- there's a um, bunch of other you know specific nights and so i don't know i, I, I kind of want to go back to like you were talking about um working with most death and i actually was working the same event as you kind of recently, uh, this year, earlier this year, um, it was for uh, the smoked out event in Monterey Bay. And it was hella funny because I got there a day early because my brother lives in Monterey um and i went there a day early just to chill with my brother and i was like he wasn't home yet and i was just like i'm gonna go get my credentials so i went for the next day because i wasn't on the first day it's so on the second day but you are on both days hosting and so like i was about to leave because i didn't see anybody and you're like hey vic and it, of course Rick is, and i didn't see you forever because you know the pandemic and all that and yeah. I'm like, i was like Rick, dude you look great you're skinny you're gorgeous what the fuck? Like, I'm just like, and it was like all this, like, like awesome. Like, it felt good to see you because I was like, dude, I almost walked away and left. And you're like, dog, there's sandwiches right there if you want. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, damn, dude, this is this is love. This is Bay love and Monterey Bay. And technically this is like the South Bay or I don't know what you want to consider that. I don't even know. They're like, no, that's central coast. I don't know. I,
1: I don't know. It's the South, South Bay.
0: I don't know. I'm not repping I'm not claiming shit, you know what I mean? Because then you know I don't want to start no funks with nobody. But uh right. that's that's uh one of the things I <laughs> want to ask you though about like how I mean I'm sorry, um what's the difference between hosting a comedy club and hosting a rap concert like you did at the Monterey County Fairgrounds for that smoked out barbecue fest? Uh
1: I the differences with comedy and hosting music is comedy when you're hosting a music event music is the star so you don't necessarily have to do jokes or anything you just have to kind of be personal you have to make people excited to get to keep the crowd energy up for the performance and it's kind of the same thing when you do comedy it's just a different type of energy you know with comedy you want people to stay focused on the comedian and and be attentive and listen. Whereas with music, people don't necessarily have to be as attentive to listen, you know, because music can go background. But it's just all about creating a vibe in the environment that you're in. You know, outdoor outdoor music festivals. You know, we're trying to get the crowd amped up, especially at a weed festival where everybody's super baked. It's like, okay, how do we keep that energy level? Up? How do we keep them? How do we keep them at this point? So I want to create that energy. You know, create the energy. That's all.
0: sorry i don't mean to laugh it's just like you're like yeah especially at a weed concert it's just like i mean like weed Mm -hmm. shows i mean there's comedy shows with that are weed infused where the audience can smoke weed and they're baked out of their ass and like sometimes it's like they're they're just like
1: (laughs) yeah and that's them laughing
0: their ass off because they're just
1: (laughs) yeah the response is delayed like like exactly at a at a (laughs) weed comedy show i'm not going to be as energetic as i would be sometimes you got to meet people where their energy is like there's nothing worse than you being super high energy and everybody's being real low energy and you don't meet them at that energy and, and and try to bring them up like i i meet them there and then try to bring them up to where i need them to be um instead of staying up here and be like come up where i'm at come up where i'm at because a lot of times they're hot they don't know what they're doing so you gotta guide them up the path to higher energy like right? you gotta say hey hey look this is a show so be attentive be here have a great time. Are you guys ready? You know, and you kind of give them that, you don't, you you don't, you give them the option, you know, you, you, help them navigate their way towards the energy you need them to be in.
0: No, that's excellent advice. And it's just like, I don't know, like the, the whole, like uh, they're here, they're here to see music, not comedy. So right. it's just like, you're getting them hyped up for the show. And it's just like, you're making everybody sound like a million bucks when you're introducing yeah. them and, so. And also, there's
1: different kinds of music too. Like it was a rap concert, so rap level of energy is way because rap is more interactive. Rap is like throw your hands in the air, somebody say "ho," oh. you know. Rap, you want that back and forth energy, which is kind of like comedy. You kind of need that interaction. You need the audience to laugh. You need them to talk to them. You want them to respond. Whereas, like I've hosted a jazz concert. And the energy is way different. You're more like, "Hey guys, thanks for coming out. We got some great music acts coming up. Uh, you guys, give it up for such such." We let them do the little clap, and then they sit back and they're taking in the music as opposed to interacting with the music. Um, so with hip hop, yeah, it's very interactive. So you got to keep that energy level in between where they're at, and where you want them to be, and it's a, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job sometimes.
0: I always think it, it is fun. a tough job. I mean, sometimes it's not easy, but just like I don't know, it feels like you have you're having fun as opposed to not working. And sometimes you're just like, it was funny though because I legit asked you about that event. I was like, hey, bro, how did that? How did that other room do? You know, the, and then you're just like, hey, dog, and you were like being optimistic as fuck without you were just like everybody who earned a laugh in that room earned it. Yes. Yeah, no. And, and we'll I was like, yeah. I was I read through the lines right then and there, and I was like. Oh, oh, this is going to be a fucking battle, dude, because like the way I was booked on that show was like, hey, you want to you want to open for E42 short? Yeah, and I'm right, like, right. fuck, yeah, I do. That That's amazing. And then it's just like, oh, actually, you're not on the same stage. You're on this other stage. And then I was booked to go on at the same time as too short. So there was yeah. like 12 people who were like too tired to stand up sitting down in the other yeah. room and it was just like it was like it was legit like I were got overflow. like it was just like yeah it was a, like I, I it was so funny though it was just like yeah we gave them a bunch of notes about like how it was but but it was fun it was it was it was fun yeah. but it was like dude that was,
1: was that worse. was exactly to- how
0: you described it like totally 100 percent right cutthroat like and that's what i always loved about you riggins and still love about you it's just like you know out of like all the cats that i've known you've always been genuinely honest the whole time like on it's 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 been so cool and it's just like one of the things i wanted to talk about and you know it's, it's it's super important you know for all entertainers and i think it's I think it's great because like a lot of people are scared to get sober because they're scared that Mm -hmm. if they get sober, they're not going to be funny anymore.
1: They're going to lose their edge.
0: And then you got sober, and not only are you funnier, you look better. Not You know, I mean, it's like, you know, pause, I don't know, whatever the fuck. (laughs) No, it's a genuine compliment. Like, you know, it's genuine like, because I saw you and I was just like, like I was like I was like, bro, you look good. You don't look sick. You you look skinny. You look like, like damn, bro, you got like the Hollywood treatment right here, bro. Like you took the pandemic right. seriously. I, I took it the other way. I went up to four hundred to six pounds, and you're just like, nope, I'm gonna lose all the weight. Victor's gaining, and so like it was just yeah. like because you were like you, you were pudgy, but then you I was took like, all damn. my weight
1: for me, dude. I, for I taking I, that weight I, from me,
0: I, I did. But then I lost one hundred eight pounds, so somebody else got it out. Someone, someone, someone. Yeah, like, that's right right how It's a transfer. It's just, you know, it's a transfer of fatness. No, but no. Because like ah, uh, sometimes I don't know. It feels I would never have considered you a fat comic because at most you were portly. You yeah. were like you were like bare, like like you bare,
1: not even. I still skinny legs.
0: You had skinny legs, <laughs> so it's just I like you,
1: upper body fat.
0: It was uh it was uh, I, I don't know it might have been the booze but like it's just like I don't know I wanted to ask you like with the with with the way mental health is there's like so many comedians that are too young passing away like in like it's, it's I don't know what it is it hasn't been like and I don't want to like be here talking about like the, the drug epidemic that is but Cocaine ain't safe no more. You know, I joke no. about doing coke, but it's really not, oh, it's not, it's safe. not safe anymore. Unless you're buying it all. in Spanish from the cartel directly, it is not fucking safe. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, honestly. Like, it is really dangerous out there and, like, I really, like, all these people are dying so young and, they, and they're healthy. And it's just, like, I don't know if it's intentional, like a suicide, or if it's, like, a legitimate accidental, because, like, I've known a lot of people who've accidentally, fatally overdosed and it's tragic. And I've yeah. known people who've done it on purpose to kill themselves, which is also tragic, but it's just like, what do you think would be the best advice for somebody who, who's an entertainer who's looking to get sober?
1: Do it. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like with sobriety, the fear it's, it's changing your life is always coming with some fear. Like, you know, say you want to decide you, you want to go back to school and you know, that's going to affect your whole schedule. Cause now you got to study, you got to go to class. And so you're afraid that you might not make as much money at work now because you're going to be doing this at a third. The fear is always greater than the actual event. Um, so it, it's one of those things that you have to do it um, because like, you know, what comes with it is so much more rewarding than what doesn't come with it. You know, fighting through, sobri- fighting through addiction, and that's what it really boils down to. A lot of people don't want to admit that they are addicts um as people have, our society has has casually encouraged drinking so much that we don't realize that we're walking through a nation of of pretty much alcoholics addicts we're all alcohol is a drug just like okay it's just that it's more socially acceptable drug, uh because it doesn't kill you as quick because it has to, like you know the only depths we really talk about with alcohol is drunk driving and that's like oh my god and, and drunk driving happens a lot but alcohol poisoning happens a lot and then alcohol will lead you to do other stuff like the, the reason why a lot of those people don't quit before they have the fatal the fatal overdose is because they are in fact addicted to cocaine and kicking addiction is the key kicking the addiction of it is, is the hard part because you become dependent on the drug you think you need that drug to be social you think you need that drug to be funny you think you need that drug to cope with whatever's going on in your life, because we come from a, a culture of, of pill popping. You know, like I watched a documentary on Xanax the other night and how at one point in our medical history, doctors didn't even ask you what's causing your sadness or the traumas you've been through. They just said, here, you're sad, take a pill, take a pill, take a pill. And then you become addicted to that pill. And when you get off that pill, you know, like I have a cousin, uh, my cousin, rest in peace, Shakir Stewart. Shakir Stewart is from Oakland. He is the man that signed Destiny's Child to their first record date. He is, when you, if you talk to anybody in the record industry that came, that's been in the record industry for more than 20 years, you bring up Shakir Stewart, they will be like, Shake, oh, that guy was a legend. Shake had it all. But Shake, Shakir was taking antidepressants. And when he tried to kick the antidepressants, the addiction made him feel like he needed to kill himself. And he took his own life and it's super tragic because oh God. had he been given the tools to deal with what was causing the depression as opposed to the medication to cover the depression, he might still be alive today. Um, you know, and one of the things that we, we, we take for granted is that, yeah, it's an addiction. And just like, like any kind of addiction that you have, you have to first find the causes what are the causes as opposed to what's the outcome you know so it's if if people are struggling and wanting to get sober it's just a matter of doing like i just had to do it like i literally just one morning woke up and took myself to a treatment center and started doing outpatient treatment and getting drug tested every week and 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 removing myself from certain 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 environments where that behavior was encouraged or other people are still doing that behavior because at the end of the day, I can't force anybody else to get sober. But when I'm doing my, my journey, I, I literally have to separate myself from people. And it has affected me. Like, you know, I don't get invited to a lot of things anymore because people assume because I don't drink or do drugs, I, I don't want to have fun. And I'm like, nah, i I still like to have fun. I just do it without the crutch. I do it without the extra added. Now I go to a concert and I remember the whole concert. I go hang out with Dave Chappelle and, and all these celebrities and I remember the experience as opposed to just blurring through it. So it's a it's, a, it's definitely a step up for, for to do that.
0: So like with the blurring, that's just like numbing of emotions so you don't have to deal with them, correct?
1: Well, you're going to result is you miss out on so many things that you're experiencing like missing out on my kids because instead of spending a Sunday with my kids at the park or doing whatever, I'm spending my Sunday in the bed recovering from two nights of party. And I can't, I physically can't get out the bed because my body is so drained of serotonin and energy. And it's so it's been, I've been so high that the come down takes me beneath. And then that affects your mental too, because now you feel bad Now you're like, oh man, I'm a terrible dad because my kids are here and I'm I'm too over. I'm too hungover to interact with them. So all they're getting is this. They only see me when I'm when I'm high, and then when I'm not high, they see me in a whole other state. And that right there was enough for me to switch it up.
0: Dude, that's powerful. That's 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 extremely powerful because you know it's. This isn't an easy business, and you know a lot of a lot of entertainers do rely on this crutch a lot of entertainers do justify their drinking pill pop in whatever form, whether it's Xanax, because the thing about Xanax, it's that's instant. If you take a Xanax right now, you'll feel in like 10 minutes. If you mm-hmm. take a Prozac, you got to take that shit for six to eight weeks before you start feeling anything. And All then, right. and then when you start feeling the effects of the pill, you don't feel anything. And then you feel dead inside and you feel like, yeah. it's like why even bother going on? So it's yep. just like, that's while you're on the medication. So, you sharing that story, um, about the legendary producer, um, uh, taking his own life after he got off the medication, and it's just like that's important. Like, talk therapy and doing the I, I mean, I don't know, like, I, it's just like sometimes you go into these mental health clinics and they want you to be on Abilify right
1: now, or well, because they get money right now, no, absolutely. Uh, and it's like, no, no, it's no, a no. Financial I talk thing. about it, but it's just no, like, like, nah. I wanna... I mean, because that's why, because think about it, it's cheaper to get the medication than it is to get therapy. That's crazy. I can go with my medical cal uh, insurance and get medicated, but I can't use it to necessarily get treatment to get therapy, which is what I really, what you really need, as opposed to being over-medicated, you need to learn. Like, because what the medication does is it, it takes away your ability to learn how to cope with bad things, because... The thing about life is it's it's a it's a combination of good and bad and indifferent and in how you deal with these things. And if every time something bad happens, you numb yourself and try to run away from it, there comes a point where you don't have that numbing agent, and now you have to face it. But you never gave yourself the tools to face it. You don't even know how to. It's like it's like if you want to be a boxer, right? You can't just go get into a couple of bar fights and think, okay, I'm gonna step in the ring with uh, uh, Canelo. Canelo. I'm gonna step in the ring with Mayweather now because I got into a couple of bar fights and didn't get knocked out. No, you got to train. You got to train yourself to deal with that. So when that first punch hits you, you know not to cower in the corner and hide. You like, oh, I got punched. All right, punch back, punch back, punch back. And, you know, and you 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 get to nurture your 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 fight response as opposed to your flight response.
0: Jesus, I mean. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed with information because it's just like this is like I'm, I'm getting free therapy right now, and um, that, (laughs) that's not why I invited you to the podcast. So I'm just telling you, it's just like, it's therapeutic to hear from another man of color, and it's just like it's, it's a stigma within the black and brown community to even talk about this, and that's why even before I press record, I was like, hey, is it cool to talk about mental health? You're like, fuck yeah, it's cool, dude. Yeah, Yeah. and then like part of
1: it. we have to, because if we don't, the, if we don't, the media will not show our people, any of us in therapy. Like, you watch The Sopranos, they show Tony Soprano, the whole series was had, had had scenes with him just with his therapist. But it doesn't do the same for us, you know? Right. Like, you know, it doesn't give us the same images.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, like, with, with the way the, the mental health is handled in this country is, I feel like it's a farce. And it's just like, you have to have cash, or if you don't, you have to wait six months. And if you're depressed as shit, what the fuck are you going to do between now and those six months? And right. So it's just like, I don't have $250 per hour to see this therapist for three hours, three times a week for the next 10 yep. weeks. Like, I don't, I really don't. I don't have, I don't have the time for that shit either. So it's just like, uh, like, it's just like a huge investment. I mean, unless you're like going to go into inpatient rehabilitation center, which is also stigmatized. So it's just like, it is just, and then people tell you don't get better. You're not, you're going to, you need to be miserable to be funny, but you've proven them wrong. It's like, you've totally proven them wrong. And it's just like, I, 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 you know, really congratulate you for that because like I feel like like that's part of part of your overall success but even before then I mean even when you were using you're fucking hilarious dude I mean you've been hilarious the whole time I've known you so it's, and also very humble very humble very cool very like um I don't know
1: ex-wife doesn't think so
0: No man it's cool because like you know like like uh, sober Chris is fucking cool. And sober chris is you know but also drunk chris was also very intellectual too but um <laughs> but sober chris is very intellectual as well so it's just like i'm glad that, that that never affected you you know what i'm saying it's just like hey wait i might be fucked up but
1: right? well, the thing about it is most people don't realize that you're funny without it like if you get on stage and tell jokes you are naturally funny there are very few people that get on stage that are not naturally funny like um i believe those people usually go into right but being on stage takes a degree of natural funniness because you have to be up there. Um, and I think I said, like you said, the people's fear is that if they stop doing this, they think the funny comes from the, the, the substance and it's not the substance. The substance may have given you a little bit more courage to get on the stage, but once you're on the stage, that's naturally, that's what's coming out of you. So to remove that crutch means you have to find a new way to give yourself the courage to get on stage. And I think it's just the fear of change for people more than the fear of not being funny. Mm.
0: No man, I mean I, I mean I know what you're saying, but like there's people that would argue like, no, dude, I gotta be fucked up. Oh, yeah, because I swear to god, like one of the best sets I ever had, I was on Molly. And I was just dude, oh, yeah. I, I was riffing, I was like, like really like killing it. Like, I was like, damn, I'm gonna I'm gonna be famous soon. I just gotta keep this Molly connection. But by day, okay, right. man, at set one was great, you know. Next day, set two was fucking great on Molly, right? Set three. I died so hard on stage, like I like literally thought about like just quitting comedy and just like yeah. that's it, it's over. It's like that was embarrassing. That was one of the worst sets I've ever had of my life. And, right. Like, you're supposed to do this. Is your your sports enhancement? Like you can't do that shit. It was like a three day experiment. You know what I mean? Right. Even worked. and you know no.
1: Eventually, it's going to not work. It's, it's not good. The issues. That's important.
0: That's important to mention because it's just like you know the the party the party ends. party's over and it's just like you know i mean it's just we're looking for instant results but also we get instant reactions and you know consequences to what we put in our bodies and it's just like one of those things i've learned it's just like i know i'm still morbidly obese but it's just like i've lost like a bunch of weight since the pandemic because i changed my diet and i don't eat past eight anymore and that's so hard man not eating past eight and like actually it's like, bro, it's like, okay, cool. You're going to do a show. Well, you better eat before the first show. And sometimes when you eat before you go on stage, you get, you get like, I don't know, this type of like, I want to go to sleep. I was just going to say, I want to go to sleep. You said the itis. That's hella funny. No, I mean, it's just like, no, it's like you, you eat and you're like, you know what? A nap right now sounds pretty good. Oh, wait, mm. I got to go do a comedy show. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. But it's just like, like, it's like, so when do you eat exactly? It's just like, you know, it's just like, do you eat during the show? And then if you're doing three shows that night or one or two shows, it's when exactly do you do it? Or if you're hosting, is it, do you, do you eat between sets? Like after you start the show before, the, you know, after the second comic or something or when? Right, right. You know, so it's just, I, I don't know. It's just like one of those things. Like what helped you lose weight?
1: Uh, change of diet, working out, um, no, not drinking. Like literally the the I lost a quite substantial amount of weight from removing that sugar intake because the thing we don't we forget is that when you drink alcohol I think pretty much every alcohol except for vodka from my from my understanding uh, the sugar content in alcohol is so great that when you are taking in that sugar um, your body is just uh, metabolizing it and it's not going anywhere um that's one of the reasons why when people most people you ask most people who who quit drinking they'll tell you when you first stop drinking you want to eat candy every day because your body is craving that sugar your body says hey what happened to all that sugar you were taking in every night like we were drinking a pint of whiskey and now we're not doing that and that sugar that we were getting in our system don't exist no more so where do we get it from And our mind is candy candy instead of fruits you know like like i should go eat some strawberries grapes or, or cantaloupe or something but now i'm gonna go get some skittles or some snickers bars and continue to put that sugar in um, because your body just needs it.
0: dude as a fat guy that is so profound and as a guy who enjoys a drink that, that's extra profound because that is i right hear
1: all this stuff right here all this weight that men men when we have all this weight up in our face our cheeks are swollen that's alcohol. That's literally alcohol shit. You take that, like, really. As soon as I stopped drinking, my face went I mean, down.
0: For the record, I wasn't an alcoholic when I was eight. All right. All <laughs> well, right. there's I also
1: was, different metabolisms, different yeah, body types. you're not a small person. It'd be different if you were like five two. Dude, that's, that's I, I've said that before.
0: It's like if I was an lupa uh-huh. Mexican. Like you know, yeah. and that's that's what, what like. What you
1: like six? You like six two, right?
0: I'm six two and I'm full of goo, but I'm six two by six two, so I look like you're not six yeah. two. You're not 6 two. You're supposed two. to. And you you would like, look
1: weird if you weigh less than 185 pounds. Like you're bro, supposed that, to
0: be. That's my ideal weight, supposedly between 185 and 220. Yeah, and then even at 220, a... I'm just like. I think I would look like people. Like my mom's all like she hadn't seen me in months. She thought I had gastric bypass. She's like, you look like you have gastric bypass surgery.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and like, the thing is, like, angst? think about <laughs> think about NFL players. Like, there are guys in the NFL that are 6'5", 300 pounds naturally, and they play a sport. They work out. They run. They, they push. They, they do all this, this cardio and stuff, and they still are very big people. But it's about being healthy at your size. You know, Don't look at it like it's not. I think it's unfair that we, we take, you know, people that are your height and we expect them to keep up the, the 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 health standards of somebody who is half your size physically, like body size, just half your size. Because that's not like you would be you would be more sick if you weighed 150 pounds than you are at 200. Because at 150 pounds, your bones probably won't be getting the nourishment because you're depriving yourself of something. So it's a no matter how you shape that size. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even having a belly does not necessarily mean you're healthy. It just means Maybe your body index is different, you know, and your metabolism works different. Like every human has a different inside, like inside system that works different. So it's like, you know, find what works for you. Find your healthiness instead of looking at other people's healthiness and saying I want to be that. No, that's not for you.
0: And that's, that's solid, that's solid advice, man. And like, that sounds like something like it, something you abide by and so it's like you live by it you're not I I, I I hate these people and that would be like me giving out like I don't know like health advice about you know to to skinny people I mean if there's like other fat guys that are fatter than me I'm just like hey you can lose weight too you know' right. his motivation like hey I, I did it you could do it too but I mean I'm not gonna lecture skinny people on how to be healthy you know so right but I mean I don't know it yeah. just feels like I I don't know sometimes it's just like fat comics hate on other fat comics just because they think yeah. like you're gonna do other fat jokes. And it's just like I never we, saw it like even when you were portly, I was like, No, and I gotta stop saying portly. I was not trying to backhand compliment you. <laughs> I'm just trying not to say fat or chubby because you weren't fat or chubby. He was husky like,
1: back in the day. You were husky
0: then. If I let's say husky then, because I'm like, <laughs> Am I backhanded complimenting my, my man right here? Because like, no, Chris, Chris Riggins is my friend, I love him. Like he's really, really hilarious. Like, um, I want to ask you a question about the name of your title of your album. My fifth first album. When I saw that, I was laughing my ass up. Like, who names their album? That is so funny. So what happened with albums one through four then?
1: I recorded recorded four of the comedy albums. And due to unforeseen circumstances, none of them saw the light of day. Uh, cup, one of them, the guy that was an engineer I had, who was going to edit it and all that, he lost all the files. He lost the zip drive, so oh, that was gone. And that was no. the one I had Talib Kwali on. Like I had Talib fly to San Francisco, introduce me, all this, and dude lost it. Um, and then there's other, just other circumstances. Like I wasn't happy with one of them. I didn't like, it. I was like, I don't want this one. Like it didn't, it didn't sound the way I wanted it to, the jokes were the jokes I wanted to use. So I was like, nah, I'm not putting it out. And in hindsight, I probably should have. Um, but then when I got to this one, you know, I hooked up with, uh, Dominic Delvinet at, uh, Blonde Medicine Records. And he was like, I want to put it out about you. And I, you know, I'm so used to promise makers and not promise keepers, but he kept his promise. And he put it out, so I felt like the most appropriate name would be like this is my fifth first album. It's my fifth attempt at a first comedy album that was successful.
0: That's hilarious, man. Dude, I mean, I think that's really awesome, man. I mean, um after you release that album, like do you feel like pressure like to do, come up with new material, or is it just like people are there to hear
1: that? You know, it's, it's funny with it's funny with comedy. In some circumstances, it is. People do want to hear the classics. They want to hear this joke that they like that you did online, or they want to hear a joke that they heard that you did on stage. And for the most part, it's like not every audience has seen every joke. So you can definitely use older, use those jokes again. But for me, the way I work, I try to come up with a new 20 minutes of comedy every month. Um, 20 minutes. Just, yeah, I try to I try to think in 20 minute intervals because. The way my my jokes are written, the way I do my jokes, the way I interact with the crowd during my jokes and around my jokes, these are not meant to be short, quick jokes. These are jokes that build onto other jokes and that go into other jokes and that are always something fresh. Like, you know, I try to think something fresh. And then also I remix jokes. Like there's jokes I did seven years ago that I'll bring back because Something new happened that connects to a joke, you know, or I'm reminded of that joke by something that happens again. And I remember, oh, that was a good joke. I'm gonna bring that joke back. Like I have a joke detailing how how kind of how how the sport of American football is kind of like I could see why it's attractive to gay men. You know, <laughs> about, you know, it's about how, I think how I know if you really look at yeah, if you really look at football, it's really like, yeah, if I was a gay dude, i watch football all day. Like, what, all these big men jumping on top of each other? Mm-hmm. I like that. Like, you know, and, and I think, it's, I think, it's, it's, it's a a joke I did seven years ago, but I keep bringing it back because it's still rings true. Um, And I haven't recorded it, so it's like I, I can keep doing
0: it. Okay, for the record, if anyone steals that joke, you're an asshole, and you hear it here. So Straight up straight up for the record, we're gonna publish this on Tuesday. <laughs> so we're not fucking around. Uh but no, um yeah man. Um I think it's great what you're doing, man. I think that every I did like I was really stoked dude because like when I when I moved out of the Bay I'm like, dude, I'm not even in the Bay Area Comedy Network anymore, bro. I'm like not even yeah. like like I'm like I'm like not I any-
1: blame you. It's and- it's a suspect.
0: I didn't even mean it like that. I just meant like I'm not in the bay anymore, so it's just like that's cool that there's a new open mic, or that's cool that there's like a bunch of open mics tonight. That's awesome. But I'm just like I'm not in the bay, and if I'm in the bay, it's like I'm I'm like I'll hit up my people, and if I get on a show, I get on a show, and if I don't, I don't. You know what I mean? It's just like so. I don't know. I just I just always thought the way that um, you've handled crowds has been great. It's been brilliant, and you you're a brilliant riffer. Um. Do you have any advice on either riffing, being in the moment, like, or um, just, yeah, being in the moment on stage, like when you're riffing or doing crowd work? Just Just being in the moment.
1: You know, like being in the moment is is exactly what you want to do because in the moment you're going to see a lot of stuff. And if you're an observant comedian, you can see something. And then a lot of times when you're riffing, you're actually reusing stuff that you've said before. You know, because like the way I see audience is there's always the same people in the audience even if they're different people. You know what I mean? Like there's always gonna be that overly drunk person that thinks they are helping the show by talking too much. There's gonna be the, the person who's who didn't want to sit in the front row but ended up getting put in the front row anyway. There's gonna be the couple there that might just had an argument in the car and they're not they're sitting in a in a in a very aggressive way to each other. You know it's all you know and it's just a matter of being observant. You know kind of being in the moment you know reading the room watching watching you know like i would say it's more reading the room you know understanding your audience i
0: don't i I just seen certain people handle it different ways like i saw this dude aggressively down here in socal go after like a couple in the front row it was a dude's birthday and then he asked the woman are you gonna are you gonna give him a birthday blow job and she said No, and then he was just on her for five minutes about how shitty of a girlfriend that he is and that she deserves to be cheated on. Like right in front for five, like to the point where like, some of it was hysterical, but some of it was like, okay, dude, still a business. They are paying customers. Yeah. What the fuck is going on right now? Like, it was like one of those things. And like, I'm not judging the person, like a dude was funny, but it was like one of those things. I'm like, I know you're digging this hole, but, like, there's ways to, like, uh, 50% yeah. of it was hysterical. But 50% of it was like, dude, you Just, might be causing a, a relationship to fail
1: right now. If you want to, it's fine. Like, I have no problem with, with making fun of the crowd and talking to the crowd. But I try to keep my, my jokes when I'm making fun of the crowd kind of uh, lighthearted. Very, like, very, very, very surface. And then another way you do that is you make fun of yourself as well. Like, if you've made fun of yourself on stage, when you make fun of somebody in the crowd, it's not as harsh. You know, it's not as like, oh, he's picking on them. It's like, well, he said he was ugly too. So I guess, you know, whatever, or, you know, however you do it. Um, it's just you know, yeah, they are paying customers you want them to have a good time. And it's okay to like, you know, hey, you know, are you gonna give your your dude a, a birthday BJ? And she's like, No, and it's okay to make a little fun of that. Like, oh come on, girl, hook your man up. But there's different directions you can go. You know, I probably wouldn't shame her. I would probably oh, go oh, to more was... like yeah. i probably go more to like try to try to convince her. I would probably try to go the route of trying to try to his side of the situation like come on look at the guy he looks like he deserves one he probably be turning him down all the time from from ugly women And you are beautiful you know? like it's his birthday you know make sure you make eye contact with him while you do it like i, I would <laughs> <more> <laughs> encourage it as opposed to condemn her for her decision because like i got you said you don't know what happened you know she might have caught him cheating the night before i'm like i don't want to suck that dirty dick i don't want to put that i don't know where it's been <laughs> that dirty ass that. dick
0: yeah no no See, I, it's I, cool I, oh no no and you're absolutely right that's what i was saying like like that might be that might be a relationship that's hanging on by threads and it's just like this is what's happening and it's just like you're at a comedy show and it's just like one of the worst things i've ever seen was like somebody came to a comedy show and it was like one of those shitty ass shows where there was like only like three or four people in the crowd there's actually only three people in the crowd and somebody made a cancer joke. And and like, it was like one of those things, like pretty much a punchline is just like, you know, if you pray to God that your kid is going to get better from cancer, you're a fucking idiot and your kid's going to die. That was a punchline. Right. And so somebody in the front row, like out of the three people, like was just like, not funny, next joke, and then the whole time the comedian was just all, like, arguing, saying, comedy's subjective, if you don't like it, you can stand the fuck up, get the fuck out right now, and I was just like, holy shit, and so, like, I stuck around, because I had a good set, and I wanted to talk to them, and be like, hey, I'm sorry that you went through that. Like, I'm like, you know, like I don't know what's going on. And then, like, because I thought it was like a boyfriend and a girlfriend situation, but they're like old high school buddies or whatever. And her kid was at Oakland Children's Hospital fighting leukemia and is stage four. And are the only miracle, the only chance they have is a miracle, and they are praying to God. And so, what she, wow. this comedian just said was be it was it was a learning moment for Victor for sure. It was like one of those like holy shit, thank god I just talked about me and not hypotheticals.
1: You know no. I'm just yes. like, yeah. that's why I try to keep a lot of my comedy about Chris. <laughs> you can't you can't get mad at me if I make a joke about my my problems. Right,
0: know? right. Or people, you can relate. Right, right. But I mean it's always um it's always to try to relate to the crowd. It's always tried, I mean, not to pander, but just to get them to like to be universal. I mean, I don't know, like, I'll do the same set, um, if like, you know, like for a formal like comedy club in San Francisco, San Jose, Long Beach, San Diego, and it will work in all four fucking places. And that's because like, when I'm in San Francisco, I'll say Muni, and when I'm anywhere else, I'll say, I, was, I took the subway. On the bus, yeah, or the or, or the metro, or like tra- public transportation, or anything. But it's just like, wait, what the fuck is Muni? You leave the Bay Area, right. it's like, what the fuck is Muni? And I've even seen some Bay Area comics outside of the Bay Area at multiple places, like, yeah, talking about Muni, like like freely. And I'm just like, people don't know what Muni is. People know what Bart is, but not Muni. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's like, people like, oh, I know what Bart is. Oh, we know about Bart always hear about like people like either like you know the bart's all fucked up or the bart was down or somebody threw themselves on the third rail or whatever the fuck happened right so right bart bart gets play on the on the news the media you know like worldwide and she, you know because exactly. and, you know not to mention all the injustices i mean uh but with, with comedy it's just like i i have a question um what's there that us black and brown comedians can do to try to get more of this mainstream attention.
1: Uh well first thing we have to stop doing is considering mainstream white. There's a mainstream black and brown too. Um I think that's, there's, that's
0: a great point. Great point.
1: There's really not much you can do other than just be funny. You know, just try to be as universally funny as possible. Um there are like, for instance, in, in both the black and brown comedy communities, people who are very specific to the culture or to issues that black and brown people face. And sometimes it gets so specific that audiences outside of those communities, even like, you know, there's, there's Mexican comedians who, who, who are brown comedians who do material that's so culturally based that I don't get it because I don't understand that culture. Or I'm not from that culture. You know, or like, for instance, here in California, I grew up with Mexicans. And I'm going to say Northern California, I grew up here with Mexican and El Salvadorians. Um, And in New York, they're they're Puerto Rican and Dominican. Uh, In the South, they're they're Tejano or whatever. And so there's different versions, there's different, you know, cultures within the culture. So the, the goal is to either, like, if you can explain your culture through your jokes and make it to where people can see the similarities in their culture, your culture like, you know, point out, like, we're more similar than we are, different. And then there's also the whole, like, only my people are going to get this joke. Only my people are going to understand it. And it's a blend of doing that. So you just have to try to be, like I said, be as universally as funny as possible. Like, during this competition, all the audiences were pretty much white, middle-aged, and older. Um, some of them were middle-class and more rich. Some of them were poor. But I one thing I know is we all got kids. We all have marriages. We all have relationships. So instead of me going specifically into material that is about being black or blackness, I can go into material about my kids. And it doesn't matter what color my kids are because my kids are gonna do the same stupid things that your kids are going to do. And we can relate on that. And then I could squeeze in some of that hey, but you know, black people, you know
0: <laughs> So just it's about- a
1: matter it's a matter how you do it. You know, are are you the mainstream is only mainstream to those who see it. Like you can be successful in any stream, you know? And I think a lot of times, you know, we exclude ourselves sometimes, but then there's also the exclusions of societal, uh, systematic, you know, systematic racism and, and sexism. Like it's the same thing for women. You know, a lot of times men think women aren't funny because they think that all women are gonna talk about is their period and and these women issues. And it's like, once you realize that women are human too, that they, they actually go through the same thing that men go through just, you know, in hills and backwards, it's just a whole different thing. You know, it's a whole different mindset. And you just have to get out of that mindset that we're all so different that we can't relate to each other.
0: Dude, I mean, one of my top three favorite comics of all time is a woman. Ida Rodriguez, she's like fucking hysterical. She's great. And so um, it's just like, I never saw her like, oh, I was like, oh, this is a woman comic. I never saw her or like, this is a Latina comic. I was like, oh, this is a comic that I know from a podcast where Joey Diaz gave her the stars of death. And she got so fucked up that she had to have her son drive her, drive her to the hospital. And I'm just like, holy shit, that poor, that poor woman. But also, though, like, and she was funny on the podcast. So I checked her out live. Uh, at the Punchline in San Francisco, and it was just like she was hysterical, hysterical, and I just like told her it was like she was she was so gracious and so, so funny, and it was like on a Thursday night, like you know sometimes some headliners will phone it in on a Thursday night, you know it's not it's not the weekend, you know like certain like that demographic that night was as you described like middle aged white, um, but there were some thick ass Puerto Rican women there. I was like holy shit. I'll do respect, but like, you know, it was uh, (laughs) I'll do respect, I'll do respect. But I was just like, oh my God, like this is, whoa, this is a real show. Uh, But um, no, of course they're all real shows. It's the punchline. Every show at the punchline is really cool. Um, (laughs) So um, I was going to say like, how has winning the San Francisco international comedy competition, how has that changed your career or like, I mean, because you're still a kind, not cocky, jerk. You're still a sweetheart. And so I'm just like, 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 but career wise, like, this is a huge competition to win and you want it.
1: Yeah. Well, it opens up doors, you know, there, there's it opens up doors to different shows. Uh, now I get to do a lot of the best of the festival shows with John Fox, who is the producer. Um, and these shows, you know, taking me out of the Bay Area into different parts of California and different crowds. Like I just did, uh, Santa Rosa and a couple other spots with him. Um, one of the things is like, it's a real like in the industry, it's a real big deal because like everybody I've told that's in the industry have been like, wow, that's a big competition to win because it's been around for forty six years. I mean, I don't know any other thing in comedy I know that's been around that long other than you know like the comedy store. So. Uh, it's one of those things where people respect it. You know, and then I look at right. the list of comedians who it, won it and the list of comedians who didn't even win, it, but were in it. You know, like, mm-hmm. like I'm, you know, I just ran into Tony Baker not too long ago and he won it in 2012. Uh, and that's been a guy I've been looking up to for a minute, like, wow,
0: yeah,
1: I, I need know. to get on like Tony. And then, you know, to be in that fraternity of winners comes with the perks of, you know, now I have a, uh, uh an accolade that isn't based on another performer you know like oh, well, dude.
0: absolutely people,
1: people talk about you know oh he opened up for Chappelle yeah that's dope I really appreciate it I'm glad that I'm able to call Dave and go open up for him and, and be able to share that stage but now it's my accolade I did that Dave Chappelle didn't vote to help me win he didn't write the jokes he didn't Hell, he didn't win the show, the contest for me. I did it on my own. I did Chris it Riggins. with that was all Chris all Riggins. Riggins. Yeah. So it's so. my it's my accomplishment. Yeah. my accolade. It's my and, my credit.
0: Again, like I said, like I was just as soon as I found out about it, I fucking hit you up, and I was like, I don't even know what time it is right now, but like just in case I die of a massive heart attack tonight, just want you to know. Like I didn't say that part, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, dude, that congratulations, man, that's big. That's super big. Yeah. Like, like I was just like, really like I was like that, like so deserving. Very, very. Like I know how hard yeah. you work, and the whole the whole schedule for people that don't know for the San Francisco International Comedy Competition, yeah. you are all over the state of California, like for a month, uh, for a month, for,
1: for three weeks of your life throughout the month of September, you <laughs> drive pretty much from the top of California to the bottom, from the east to the west of California, doing shows because you have to do four shows every week. And every show is in a different city that's at least 50 miles away from San (laughs) Francisco. So you literally, and then you don't get paid for every show. You don't get paid until you advance. So when you advance to the semifinals, you get paid. When you advance to the finals, you get some money. And then of course, winning it, you get money. But at the end of the day, it's like, you don't, you're sacrificing a lot of time and energy to do it. It's a stamina contest. It's not even really, it's a comedy competition, but it's a stamina competition too. You know, That's a so funny. Had, I, I know, a lot of I know a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people who've done it and they were doing great in the competition. And then just the, the, the wear and tear of the competition got to them towards the end of the competition and they didn't win, you know? And I kind of see how that happened because I wasn't, I feel like this, when I started the competition, I was coming in second and third place the whole time. <laughs> and then everybody, the two guys, the two people that kept beating me in the prelims in the semifinals didn't make it to the finals, but I did because I stayed steady. And kept moving up, and then when I got to the finals, it was just a matter of okay, now all I have to do is focus in and do what I know how to do.
0: Dude, that's awesome! So in the finals, how long were those sets?
1: Uh, in The finals we do fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes to eighteen minutes sets.
0: Fifteen you know? to eighteen,
1: yeah, that's... and that's because there's only five of us, and that's the thing that really kind of separates people because some people got a dope hot five that can take first place at a, at a five-minute competition, and they got it. And, you know, I had good five minutes. that got me second and third place throughout the prelims. Then in the semis, we go to eight to 10 minutes, and then you can see that some of those people that had the good five minutes set, that extra three minutes is going to kill them. They ain't got another three minutes. They, they brought their best five, and that's it. And then you get to the finals, and you realize, okay, now this is where you separate yourself as a headliner versus an opener. Because 15 minutes is not just a 15-minute set. It's literally, you have to keep the people captivated for 15 straight minutes. And if you don't, you you five minutes ain't going to work. Ten minutes ain't going to work. You got to keep them going for 15 minutes straight. Which is why, like, on one of the shows where we had to do a TV clean set, they only made us do eight to ten minutes. Because they understood doing a super clean set. Is a lot harder than just doing your set 15 minutes. So they gave us that grace. And I took first place in that show. So it was really good.
0: No, that's that's awesome, man. I mean, like the fact you're able to work clean, but also like work really dirty. And it's just no, like, yeah. do you have any advice to for dirty comics to transition to clean comedy or how to write clean comedy when your brain is so used to just writing dirty stuff?
1: I'd say evaluate your dirt. You know, like there's a difference between cussing and then dirty material and then vulgar material. You know, like I was talking to a, a Bay Area comedic legend, Brian Copeland, and he gave me a bit of advice on how to write clean. He said, basically, write all your jokes clean because you can always add cuss words. I can always add a fuck. I can always add a shit. I can always take the word penis and put dick in there. I and I can, I, can, I can literally make any clean joke dirty, but it's a lot harder to make dirty jokes clean. So if you have to write, you know, if that's the path you want to go, because let's get this straight. If you want to be on TV, on network, television, night show, late show, stuff like that, working clean is good because then they can see you do clean. Uh, but if you're like, you know, me, I'm not necessarily, that's not necessarily my goal. So I don't necessarily write clean, but I can do clean if I'm asked to. Um, I have no problem with clean, but don't think you, like, if you're a dirty comic, just be the best dirty comic. Don't worry about the clean stuff, because what I notice is, if you're tremendously funny, even if you're dirty, those TV shows will find a way to work with you. Like, most people I know that have done late night TV, they have to submit the jokes they're going to do, and then the network says, okay, you can't use this joke. You have to take this word out of this joke. You can't say this like this. These two words can't go next to each other. You have to put something in between them. And they send you back a list of the jokes you can do, which is why on national TV, on the late night shows, you only do three to four minutes because they probably edited your shit down so much that that's all you got. (laughs) That's as much as you can do
0: yeah and yeah i mean i i did my first clean show recently and it was like really challenging like you know especially because like i have a lot of like drug-infused sex-infused like stories and you can't talk about any of that stuff when you're clean you know you just well, have here's to-
1: what you do just imagine you're telling that story to your grandmother how would you tell like we do it all the time as comedians we've been doing clean comedy because like think about the times you told your parents or or your grandmother or somebody a funny story and you left out the the, the CD parts. So Are you left out certain words because, you know, instead of saying hello, you said echo because you knew that she had to talk like this. So just do it. Just put that in your mind, you know, like, Oh, I'm just like talking to my grandma, you know, just for dinner, like I'm talking to my mom, like I'm telling this drug story to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude.
0: That's hella funny, man. Fucking a man. Um, um, was I gonna ask you, man? Um, I have a question about your Facebook. Um, it's really important. You keep getting banned because you talk about certain mm. people, and I thought you were talking about YouTube, and I found out YT is white. Yes, and so it's- why do you get banned for using the word white on social media?
1: Because white men run social media because so you go to these tech companies it's it's a room full of various white men who don't understand the nuance of racism they think that you know like most white people go off the textbook definition of racism which was written by a white man who never dealt with racism so when you look at the textbook definition of racism it just basically says anytime you say something negative or anytime you say something about any race that isn't your own that's racism and what they leave out is the power dynamic. Like the ability to ban somebody for saying white. Meanwhile, I can say black, nigga, Negro, nigger. I can say all those online, but, and I won't get flagged. But the minute I spell white, the way it's supposed to say, and I put white people together, and God forbid I say white men, then it's like, oh, you're attacking us. And their way of dealing with it is they think, they're, they're putting in the algorithm, their feelings towards race. Instead of the reality of race, which is that speaking on racism means you're going to point out white supremacy, because that's the basis of racism. Like white supremacy, white supremacy is what racism is built on for everybody. And I know we say, "Well, black people," and like in, in my opinion, it cannot be racist. We can be prejudiced, we can be bigoted, <laughs> but we can't be racist because we don't own the power to do something to these people. Like, I can't, like, I'm not going to call the police or white people because I already know the police ain't coming. But they use that power against us all the time. You know, whether it's black or brown, they can do that. They can they can go into a room for Latinos and, and threaten to call INS just because they assume everybody in there is a They can go into a room of black people and say, I'm going to call the police. And they assume we're all afraid of the police. Like, oh my God, you call calling the police. And it's like, you know, that's a power that me and you don't have in this society you know we don't we don't have that power so it's it's one of those things where the algorithms are written by white men that's what they choose to focus on they don't want to they don't want to be called out on their own shit
0: yeah but it's just it's it's profound that the algorithm has it set out and it's like i don't know who the hell's reporting you sure as fuck ain't me i just remember that one time i got a friend request from Kai Riggins and I'm like Kai Riggins and I was like this is somebody trying <laughs> to pretend to be Riggins and then it just no, said like in your was... bio I was like a oh, backup account I got blocked and I was just all like
1: yeah. is this okay is this right legit, is this
0: legit? And I, I messaged you I was like bro I think this is you. And then like you messaged me like, hey, I can't respond from that I I am. And I'm just like, oh shit, that is you. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, No, because that threw me off so hard because I thought somebody hacked you. And I was concerned. I was just like, I couldn't believe that somebody hacked you and made this fake account. I was pretending to be you. And I was just like, damn. I mean, I know Riggins is cool, but Jesus Christ, who's trying to take his identity and be like, you know, him online? I'm in Facebook jail right now. I'm in Facebook jail right now.
1: That is so fucked up. that I call a white man a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I said, i'm a bully i'm a bully i'm a facebook bully
0: well dude you can't be calling you can't be calling white men bitches in public anymore you know especially yeah no, right? or at least don't transcribe it um yeah say it out I'm... loud you know it's just that's so i can funny. say it in im
1: i'm start sending them messages like, bitch. <laughs> <You> fucking bitch <laughs> but then
0: they'll ban you from messenger and then it's just like there we go it's like uh um, yeah I don't know. They always find a way to silence people that have something useful to say or something empowering to say or something is, that's uplifting or that can change society, you know, or the way that yeah. people think. And it's just like, I don't know, this the censorship. And I don't, I don't know. Have you been affected by like cancel, not cancel culture, but like maybe you can't say like, like, do you ever, are you afraid to tell certain jokes on stage because you might get canceled? No. You don't give I'm a not, fuck.
1: I'm not afraid. I'm not, I mean, Hold on, hey, say that, say that
0: again because we're we're losing we're losing service. I don't
1: really tell a lot of jokes like that. You know, most of my jokes I oh, okay. I try to jokes like that really on like I mean I mean on stage like I I try to keep my jokes in the realm of of how I actually view the world and talk. And so I'm not going for shock value. I'm not trying to hurt people, I'm not trying to say things that make people mad. But if someone gets mad about something I say, I can say, well, that's, I I apologize that you were offended, but I'm not changing (laughs) who I am because of your offense, because there's levels to it, you know? There is the whole, you know, get on stage and just shit on a whole group of people where it's not even funny no more, it's just a rant. And then there is that pointing out very little, pointing out things that that are questionable and should be talked about. And if someone gets mad about me pointing out racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, transphobia, or anything like that, then I'm—it's automatically well, it must be you. You—you you know, I don't get—I don't get offended by stuff that's true. Well, I, know, mean, I, don't, I mean, I don't—I mean, I don't get offended by stuff that's true, but some people get highly offended when you hit them with some truth, like oh, me. Oh. Me, Dude, like,
0: yeah, you. hey bro I, I i'm not gonna say who but somebody we both know when i first met this person i said i was like yeah fat asses like us and he said i'm not a fat ass and i was just like do you own a fucking mirror what the fuck do you mean you, you're not a fat ass you're a hell of a fat ass i mean right but it's just like i don't understand why the fuck you're getting offended exactly. by I mean it's just I think it was just he was offended because there was like women present. Like you can't say that about me, you know what I mean? It was just ego thing, but whatever, yeah. you know. It's like, oh, and I Let guess the I ladies could,
1: suck your fat titties, man. Home down. now. <laughs> I don't like when that happens.
0: But um any rate, um, what's it called? Um, how do you how do you keep your uh, per, how, I guess this is a question that I asked because like you know, it, it's it's really relevant to a lot of performers. Um what do you do when you have a show? And you feel, like, really, really, like, depressed or, like, sad or exhausted. And you just – and you, and you got to do it. Is there any, like, words of encouragement or advice that you could give out to somebody that's, like, in that type of situation?
1: If you don't feel it, don't do it. You know, like, I try to remember that comedy is the place that I can go and get away from whatever issues I have. Like, you know, that's a great thing about us. We actually have this therapeutic thing where we can go on stage and actually talk about it. And even though people are laughing, we can be hiding our pain behind that laughter and that that, that, that approval that we get from the laughter can boost our, our ego. Like, oh, okay, this problem's not too bad. you know. And you get that minute that we're free. So It can be an escape from your day to day. And so I would say just feel your feels. If you feel like you can't do it, don't do it. And if you feel like you can, go do it and use it use that pain use that use that whatever's going on on stage because that's the great thing about what we do is we can use what hurts us to to heal us
0: yeah and yeah that's 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 beautiful man because i i I mean i people was like yeah comedy's therapeutic like i mean i've had so many people come up to me and tell me oh my mom just died or i just broke up with my significant other or whatever or like i just found out my girl's cheating on me or and it's just like what you did up there i forgot about all that shit and right. I'm just like like and so like you're doing a good job and like I don't know how long you've been doing this and blah blah blah. I mean it's just like shit stuff like that. It's just like, oh shit, I didn't know your mom. I'm sorry to hear that. That's horrible. You know what I mean? Right. You don't know you don't know what people are going through. And so it's just like 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 again with, with the cancer kid and the person in the audience, it's just like they they didn't know what they didn't know that those people were in the audience. So it's just like I don't know if you're being edgy for the sake of being edgy that's one thing but I mean it's just like for me it's like don't talk about cancer unless you're like taking care of somebody with cancer or you yourself have or had cancer survived you know what I mean it's like one of those things where it's just like it's super touchy you know what I mean like I, I don't I don't know I feel like it's like some type of like misappropriation like in my opinion right. but right. I don't know but like I, I, I really do respect everything you're, you're doing I really do love your candor I really love just your genuine compassion as a human being not just as a comedian you know with all the advice and life advice and mental health advice i mean it's just like you're really multifaceted with the levels of how you care about your fellow man and the way you care about yourself and so it's been really an enlightening this podcast to actually have you on and like it's it's really cool and my last question for you is where can the people find you at home?
1: Uh, well, uh, I'm. I'm what what day is it going to come out on Tuesday? It's
0: going to come out um, Tuesday.
1: Well, I'm, I guess I could. I'll announce it here. I will. I will make the announcement here. Uh, the uh, you have two more opportunities to see me here in the Bay Area before I move to LA. Um, in January, uh, I will be at the Alameda Comedy Club, December yeah I'm, I'm leaving again uh i'll be at the alameda comedy club december 16th and 17th for four shows uh two nights uh that's going to be dope tickets are available at alamedacomedyclub.com or on my link tree in my uh ig bio Chris springs comedy um and then i will be hosting uh cobs all the way up into new year's eve actually for new year's eve uh uh, coming up at the end of December. So, Alameda Comedy Club and Cobbs Comedy Club, the last two real chances you're going to get to see me here in the Bay Area. Uh, January 2nd, I start my new job as a door guy at the comedy store, the world famous comedy store in Los Angeles. So, I will be oh, in shit. Los Angeles.
0: Okay, so, so after that, you
1: got to come to the comedy store to see me
0: dude that is amazing that is fun. dude congratulations man like i really like um i'm looking forward to that you know seeing you because i know how hard you grind I, i'm gonna see you somewhere and yeah. so and dude that's so awesome man like that that's great and um i'll just put in the in the bio description uh chris makes a great announcement i won't say exactly what it, you know so you gotta stay tuned and big, watch, announcements. big announcement. Yes. it's like that's the watch clip it to the that's end. the that's the clip you know it's just like <laughs> but no, um, yeah, man, um, I'm gonna put all of that. I'm gonna put your your link tree and your and um all your social medias uh, so people can follow you, go to your shows. Uh, be sure to follow Chris. He's hysterical on stage, uh, off stage. He's a he's a gentleman, and it's it's really really great to be in the presence of somebody who's so caring, and um, without even saying without even being my personal mentor you're offered mentorship with, you know, all of the great advice that you're giving out. And it's just, it's awesome for people like you to give back to other comics with such great advice. So I want to thank you so much, Chris Riggins, for your time. I want to thank, thank you, you so much for your generosity. And um, I can't wait for you to move to LA, bro. I'm in Santa Monica, dude. I'm just down the street, 20 minutes away. I'll be out or, if, there. or if there's traffic, an hour and a half. It just an depends. hour and a half, right? <laughs> it, just, it just depends, bro. Like I'm serious. It took me one point it took me thirty-five minutes to go one point nine miles. I was like, this has to be wrong. This that's has why I quit to driving be Lyft wrong.
1: There. That's oh. why I don't drive lift there, because it was oh. like, oh my God.
0: Yeah, yeah. You got it. Different side hustles. It's just something else. Yeah, not, driving is not the business in LA. And it's just like, exactly. it's like I had to leave four hours early to get to this show in San Diego because I wasn't sure. And thank God I did. I got there 10 minutes before I was supposed to be there. And thank God I found Park. Yeah. So it was just like you never know. Like and then going into LA, you know, whether you're going downtown or you're going to Hollywood, which is totally two different areas. And so I thought it was the same shit before I moved here. And I'm just like, nope. comedy store is not (laughs) downtown la that's in hollywood you dumb fuck anyway but um (laughs) anyway yeah so i'm gonna put all that info there thank you chris i love you man i wish you continued success and um i can't wait to see you down here in la be sure to check out chris riggins be sure to follow him and uh thank you so much for listening to poppycock podcast we hope to catch you next time thanks a lot for listening and stay cool Thanks for listening. Subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, do your boy a favor. Tell your friends. Tell your cool family members. Tell your cool coworkers. Let them know about the podcast. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And be sure to follow me on all social media, Puro Papi Pacheco. And check out my website at
1: hispanictitanic.com for future dates. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.